Okay, welcome. So in this lesson um, or presentation, I wanted to look into the Hermetic Kabbalah, so the tree of life in uh, Hermeticism in Western um, Hermetic Kabbalah, and I'm going to explain what it is in case you don't know, and more specifically into the masculine feminine and working with feminine energies in Hermetic Kabbalah. So this is going to be a theoretical um, presentation. Obviously, I'm not going to teach you any specific practices or guided meditations, or if you are looking for, um, you know, um, super powerful magic spells of feminine magic uh, according to hermetic kabbalah then you're not going to find it here uh, but we will look into it um into these concepts and kind of this particular worldview the structure of reality that um, hermetic kabbalah presents and how does if at all feminine magic fit in there and what is feminine magic right so the basically the interplay of the feminine and hermetic kabbalah so and this is going to be um powerpoint presentation so let me begin right so this um then we will call it feminine practices in hermetic kabbalah right so this is an interesting topic as such because um i don't know how much you know about hermeticism um but as such um it's a very left-brained structure of the world I'm going to talk about what Hermetic Kabbalah is, how it's different from the Jewish Kabbalah, what is Kabbalah, and and etc. Um, but it's a very structural view of reality. Um, if you know, you know, Rosicrucianism and uh, you know, the Hermeticism, uh, the Golden Dawn, etc., uh, etc., et the occult. Um, a lot of it is based on ritual, on uh, prescriptive magic, let's say. Um, there is a linear path where you go from A to B, um, where you, you know, in order to get to B, you have to do this and this and this. And if you don't do this and this and this in a consecutive order, then you are not getting to B. And so there is a very, and even the, the structure of the world, the view of the world is very, um, let's say, masculine, very um, left-brained, very oriented towards... Um, you know, the shortest distance uh, between A and B being the straight line, whereas the feminine principle goes um, a little bit in, in circles and spirals. So these are some of the questions that I was hoping to look into. 
so how are feminine magic magnetism yin energy and you know specifically feminine practices viewed in hermetic kabbalah in those like western occult teachings and uh, does a concept of feminine practices even exist and what can this system teach us about interaction between the masculine and feminine perhaps about our own construct of the feminine as such what is does the feminine mean in the context of hermetic teachings and if you're wondering at all well, what is you know hermetic teachings well your beloved you know tarot cards such as rider weight and sauce tarot they are based on hermetic kabbalah specifically um, and a lot of it uh, is based also on those alchemical principles of, you know, integrating the masculine and the feminine. Now, it's an interesting, of course, it's a whole PhD, right? And it can take, uh, you know, a 50-hour course with in-depth discussion and reading uh, sources and, you know, group study and so on. So this is just a brief introduction where I kind of wanted to present the basic principles. Um, I just wanted to say... Um, that really the Hermetic Kabbalah, as we know it now, and I studied it in um, uh, Eastern European offshoots, so non-Western and non-English speaking um, school of Hermeticism. Uh, so it's what I know may be slightly different and the tree of life that I use again I'm going to talk about it in a moment the tree of life that I use is also slightly different from what you know if you for example um, worked with the golden dawn tree of life um, <clears throat> but the hermetic Kabbalah as we know it now it really was the most influenced by the Golden Dawn, of course, a short-lived but incredibly influential occult order, right, um, from the UK. And that order and several other, you know, similar movements that emerged, they all emerged post-Industrial Revolution. After the world became much more, and prior to Industrial Revolution, there were, you know, other philosophical um, teachings, philosophies. There was a movement, so both through the philosophies and through the arrival of this Industrial Age, a movement into a more mechanical world, a more mechanical view of reality. So the world became mechanical right there was electricity suddenly nobody lived within you know a few decades you could move from of course the universal electricity took a while to to arrive right and in some places it only arrived after world war ii but suddenly there was this possibility of not following the cycles of the moon and the stars and and you could extend your working days and you could write at night and you could, and it was so incredible, right? The fact that it messed up with circadian rhythms and with health and mental health of population was a different story, but suddenly man had control over nature, right? And all of this 
resulted in a worldview that is somewhat mechanical, that kind of lacks that spirit and dance and mystery and, uh, you know, the, the magic of the sunrise and the magic of the moonrise. Now we're going to conquer nature. Now we are going to conquer reality, right? Uh, so uh, dialectic materialism and uh, the fact that everything is matter, right? That there is no spirit and etc. So this... I see it as a consequence, really, of um, industrial age. And while hermetic teachings and Kabbalah precede those, of course, most come really from the medieval period, the Renaissance, in the interpretation that exists that we have from our teachers of hermetic Kabbalah that we know nowadays, the interpretation, it comes from this post-industrial revolution age. So it has a mechanical worldview at the core of it. it. It's a spiritual philosophy. Yes, it's a way of explaining the world. Yes, but these structures that we talk about in hermeticism, they came about in the context of an increasingly mechanical world, right? It There was little spontaneity. So this is something to keep in mind, in my opinion, um, <clears throat> because most of the, you know, occult practices and books that people are into nowadays, um, they have this slightly mechanical interpretation and maybe the books when they were written like 500 years ago or 600 years ago 800 years ago they the authors had faith and mystery and flow and they were well we have to put it something were you know to define it as something words they both define but they also limit the authors may have had spontaneity and the flow and new things, but the interpretation that uh, modern followers or teachers or we even as, you know, people have nowadays is very different. It's much more mechanical. Oh, so I put uh, whatever it is, right? Uh, I don't know, sage and mint together, <laughs> boil them for five minutes, and then this concoction will do this and that, right? I don't really bother about connecting to the spirit of the plant and talking to mint and sage and cultivating my relationship with them because that's you know that's out of the window that's not part of our reality and I view it as this you know consequence you know so kind of seeing in context whereas of course feminine practices they are rooted in older traditions so there is a Contradiction, um, somewhat. So let's explore a little further. Right, so um, Hermetic Kabbalah, let's start with, let's start at the end. I'm sure most of you have seen the, the Tree of Life. Um, so this is the Jewish tree of life the hebrew tree of life um which is a map of reality and is used by um by kabbalists in judaism 
Um, there uh, are 10 spheres, right? Uh, as you have from the crown going down all the way to Malchut, to the root, to the kingdom. And there are pathways connecting those spheres here in the center, a sphere that is not marked. The 11th sphere is Dat. Now, Dat is um, the hidden <laughs> sphere of knowledge. It also represents the abyss, as I'm going to talk about in a moment. And uh, Dat um, is, is hidden, but it's the you know that this that secret knowledge the there is always something that has to be hidden right so the kabbalistic tree of life we start with the root well, what does it all mean right so kabbalah in uh, hebrew it is something that is received the root is these uh, these three letters? Um, modern day Hebrew uses the root. It's kab and l, right? It's mit uh, kabel, for example, to receive. Um, I, I'm receiving, right? So the root means also in modern day Hebrew um, receiving. In Hebrew and Arabic, the the basis is three letters. Uh, and that root can then be modified <laughs> in, in different ways. So Kabbalah is basically something that is received. And by um, the legend says it that uh, it's an oral tradition that was originally given to Moses and was transmitted uh, from master to student. So in most um, teachings, in most uh, you know traditions, religious or, or otherwise, uh, not religious or folk traditions. We have a written material, uh, something that is uh, for everyone, and we have um, esoteric so-called teaching. So Kabbalah would be an esoteric teaching. What does esoteric mean? It means hidden, right? So something that is not for everyone, um, not necessarily because of any elitism, but because simply not everyone is interested. Not everyone asks questions as to questions as to how or why. Um, and some people are just content with, you know, what what to do, how do I get from from A to B? What what should I do? What what I shouldn't do, right? Uh, you know, what path should I choose? Should I marry this guy or that guy? And that's it. Whereas some people will always be questioning and searching. And so those will look for a teacher, a spiritual teacher, to advance their practice, to connect more fully with themselves and with the divine. And so it's for those, those esoteric traditions. And so this is then the, the Jewish esoteric tradition. So a Kabbalist would be someone who is a receiver of the secret knowledge, sought the secret, right? Now, Tradition says that um, Kabbalah was it was something, it was part of the revelation received by Moses on Mount Sinai, right? He wrote the Ten Commandments. Uh, he There was the written Torah, which is studied 
extensively in part of both Jewish and Christian holy scriptures, but there was also hidden knowledge, the secret. And that was transmitted by Moses to his students and etc. from student to, to, uh, to, uh, to student, right, from teacher to student throughout centuries. Now, in, in the 13th century, Moses de Leon uh, writes a book called Zohar, and he attributes it to a second century rabbi who reputedly received this revelation in a cave. Revelations, as you know, are often received in a cave. Uh, cave, by the way, is a symbol, of course, of the divine feminine. It's a womb, right? It's the dark place where you go, you bury yourself, you gestate for a while, so you don't see the light, you don't maybe eat or drink, you are in an altered state of consciousness, and then you exit the cave, you are transformed, right? So you could say Jesus was buried in a cave, right? And then rose again on the third day. Incidentally, it's a woman who anoints him and who is the first witness of his resurrection. So a cave is a symbol of the divine feminine. And uh, there is lots of it in Kabbalah. Um, and... Um, well, but most people would say that, okay, scientifically, the Zohar by De Leon is, is probably a medieval forgery. Uh, it wasn't really written by a second century rabbi, and De Leon was uh, famous by, <laughs> famous, you know, for, for forging things. But, um, however, that the book has never been written before it doesn't mean that those teachings didn't exist it and that you know they were just invented uh randomly out of the blue in a dream um because of course those currents and those teachings they existed elsewhere in fact um there were some researchers who studied the interaction of both jewish and islamic mysticism sufism and uh, kabbalistic judaism mystical judaism um and um they proposed that one influenced another, and very often it was actually the Kabbalists who were influenced by uh, Islamic uh, mystical teachings. For example, Ibn Arabi, um, a 12th, 13th century uh, Islamic mystic, he actually wrote before De Leon. Uh, and a lot of his teachings parallel um, Kabbalah. But that is, of course, a whole different story. Now, the basis of the teaching, right, is that we have 10 spheres, which are like 10 emanations of the divine source. So it's like a map of reality. Um, God um, comes down from the invisible realm, which is the crown, from the unknowable, un explicable right the source that the unmanifest the unmanifest and the pathway of manifestation is through this tree so this tree is kind of like a map how does the unmanifest become manifest so it's about god it's about you know how the spirit descends it's about human it's about the pathway of an idea of a intention for example i want to write a book well, how do I make it manifest? 
Well, according to this map of reality, it goes from the unmanifest as to cross the abyss of the dad, is to go down, 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 and by the time it gets down, it's something very different than what it was there at the inception stage. Well, because that's the nature of reality. But so basically, we have um, this map. And uh, the origin of the map is that the divine descended or scattered into pieces. Um, and now our work is to restore those fragments of the divine to separate um, light from darkness, so to speak, to purify darkness and restore them back uh, to the divine. And this work is called the Tikkun. Just very, very briefly. On, on, uh, the the Jewish Kabbalah. Of course, it's it's an incredibly big topic. Now, however, as you noticed, um, I use the spelling of the Kabbalistic tree of life of the Kabbalah, but I also use the spelling of Kabbalah here with a Q. Uh, and that is to distinguish, because in my opinion, and in the opinion of, you know, many um, occultists or, or researchers or, you know, terologists, etc., uh, that the Jewish Kabbalah is something completely different from the Hermetic Kabbalah, from the Kabbalah, right? Um, because that is a Christianized reality. So Kabbalah would refer to the blending of Jewish Kabbalah with Christian theology, especially during European Renaissance. Um, then specifically, there was, you know, there was around 13th century when it became very popular. So, of course, when they started reading that book by, by Moses de Leon, right, of the Zohar, wow, Jewish mysticism came from Moses. So we can use that to show that actually Christianity has the same we are we are the same, right? So we we have something in common, we can work together, and so we can also build bridges uh, between Judaism and Christianity, or looked from another perspective, we can convert <laughs> the Jews to Christianity. So let's have a look here to the um, <clears throat> on the uh, to the left. We have a Jewish version of the tree of life, superimposed also on the human body. Um, and this version has the dot as part of uh, the tree of life. So there are 11 spheres. So we will have... The, the crown, right, the first sephira, and then we will have uh, the, so looking to the right, for some reason I, uh, there it is. Uh, <laughs> for some reason I couldn't find my uh, pointer. So, so we have the crown, uh, the keter, we have uh, the 
the right pillar and the left pillar as seen from us from the receiver we have the center pillar right we have so and it goes from up to down so the crown would be the unmanifest world it would be the highest divine emanation and then uh it goes down so from the pathway from the divine to the reality goes from up to down now of course when we evolve the pathway will go from down to up so the the most dense dimension would be uh this the kingdom the malkut right and then it goes up now the um this hidden sphere that um it means knowing and Possibly, if you're interested in Hermetic Kabbalah, you want to know things. <laughs> it's, it's a lot, and it's a Western, specifically Western attitude to knowing. I'm just going to read, you know, 20 books, 50 articles, and now I will know things. And that's, I think, also an attitude uh, that many bring into the occultism, for example, and the, or those particular practices. And I like I want to know things. <laughs> want to know how to fix right how to fix uh, my health how to fix my money fix my relationship and then gradually dawns on us that we're talking about a completely different kind of knowing so that um for example in the torah in the hebrew bible and in the christian bible although they you know most christians don't read in hebrew that means to know in a very intimate sense it is the knowing that is used for sexual relations. So when you have in the Bible, you know, and he knew his wife, right? And he came to know his wife. That's the word, that. He came to know his wife. So he knew her. He received that knowledge. So to know someone is to have <laughs> from this <laughs> from this word, right? Meaning that. Um, to have a dot of someone would be to have sexual relation with that person, right? It's that kind of knowing. Obviously, you can't really have a sexual relationship with an unmanifest source, but it indicates that kind of a relationship, which is very intimate, which is as close as it gets which pierces which goes even deeper than sexual relationship because it gets into your body right into your so it is embodied that knowledge is embodied you feel it in your bones and you know with your body not with your mind you know with your heart with your blood with your bones with your gut with your feeling, with your tears, right? It's part of your food, part of your water. That's that's the it's that knowledge, and that is the knowledge that we're talking about actually in terms of the the tree of life, and and the Kabbalah. So yes, it's secret knowledge, but it is that knowledge. It is sexual knowledge and of course the best metaphor that both uh, Kabbalists and um, Sufi mystics for example Rumi well known the best metaphor they could use for this knowledge is sex because how else are you going to explain it right uh, it's th that intimate knowledge but it's not about sex <laughs> and it can be because everything is connected
so the Kabbalistic tree of life then in Judaism, that's from a, a Jewish um, teacher, uh, Sarah Yehuda Schneider, and that's from her book, You Are What You Hate. And um, uh, this is then the tree of life superimposed on the uh, human frame, let's say the body. So the crown is kind of above it's actually above the crown chakra it's not in the physical body because it's not it's outside the um, um, knowable reality uh, so that sphere is not included in in the human body let's say but the on the right hand side you will see a, a hermetic at the Western occult tree of life, uh, with the hidden dot here. But as you see, those pathways will be a little different. The flaming sword of the Hebrew tree of life is a little bit different. Here in the Western tree dot is simply in the, you know, in the middle of the this pathway, right? And uh from the sphere Tiferet, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight pathways going out. So eight different choices uh, to select from beauty, right? So it's a different. So this is the tree of life that we know from Western occultism, from the Golden Dawn and, um, and from... <clears throat> the previous teachings right all the way to that 13th century uh, catholic version right that tried to convert the jews and so in the western tree of life those um spheres are also superimposed on on the human body there is talk about you know them being physically in the body for example the um cross right the that uh, Kabbalistic cross that is used as part of the uh, pentagram ritual to protect against entities. Uh, there is a really horrible version on YouTube with the wrong pronunciation. <laughs> um, but um, it it exactly it uses these spheres, right? The uh, because they are located on on the shoulders the uh, and Chesed. Um, but in the modern Hermetic Kabbalah, the location is slightly different in that they put the um, Malchut as the root chakra, right? So the kingdom, uh, the Malchut is uh, at the root and then the uh, you thought the foundation would be at the sacral chakra level and the Hod and Nitzach approximately at the uh, solar plexus, so slightly, slightly different distribution in the body. And Tiferet is at the heart chakra um, and um, the chesed and gevura at the throat um, and then you will have the bina and chokhmah at the ajna chakra and um, um, the keter uh, ab above the 
the Sahasrara chakra above the crown chakra actually but the crown even that word the crown right it comes from um, from this representation so there is a very close intersection of the tree of life and you know how westerners approach uh, the chakra system right so to go back then uh, to reiterate so here on the left is the tree of life um, by Athanasius Kircher. Um, it, he was a Jesuit priest who actually drew his version of the Tree of Life as part of his work in converting Jews. Um, so to re repeat then, the Kabbalah with a Q will refer uh, here as a you know, Western, Western version, Westernized. Um, yes, it has roots in the uh, Jewish Kabbalah, but it's it's not Jewish, right? Um, it developed from it. It took the system and worked with it. Um, and you know the so one of the most notable differences is the way those pathways are created. Also. The pathways in the Jewish system, they had letters. Yes, letters were corresponding to numbers. But in the Western occultism, something much more interesting happens. Here, the pathways not only have numbers, but they become correspondent eventually with tarot cards. So we actually have the 22 pathways, yes. Um, and in the Golden Dawn system, they started then connecting them uh, to the tarot cards. Although those concepts, they existed before. Um, so the major kind of tarot they represent in that system the major kind of represent um, those pathways connecting the spheres. The spheres themselves are consisting, or let's put it the other way, the court cards and the minor arcana, so the numbers, right, in the tarot cards, um, they are a representation of a particular sphere, right? Of that sphere. Um, so we have uh, something that, you know, that that was new uh, because in, in the Jewish system, tarot cards <laughs> didn't, didn't exist, right? Um, and so in Hermetic Kabbalah, they don't really talk so much about God either. God is the creator. It's more a system. So it is this mechanical worldview and gradually becomes more and more mechanical. Um, nowadays, the modern teachers and like the school that I studied was they talk about the system. So the system does that. The system wants that, right? So um, now you would notice there are different trees of life. I, for example, work with a version of the tree of life that is exactly the same as the version drawn by Kircher, 
which I was which was surprising. Um, in terms of numbers, the numbers of the pathways and which are kernel tarot to use. But it is very different from the Golden Dawn version and from the uh, Alistair Crowley's version. And of course, uh, it's different from the original Jewish version. So why, like, what is the validity then of a system that can't even agree on the pathways and there is the 10, 10 spheres and the hidden 11 sphere and where do the pathways go? The Jews, you know, draw them one way then the Western Kabbalists draw them the other way. So what is, what's the, what's the core here? What's the point of it, right? And I like to remember a parable about, uh, you know, the blind men who were asked to describe an elephant. And one of them, you know, said, oh, it's, uh, he grabbed the tail and he said, oh, you know, it's like a, like a rope with, with fringes at the bottom. And one of them grabbed the ear and said, oh, it's, you know, something that is huge and, and thin and it's, it's moving. And then one of them grabbed the leg and said, oh, the elephant is like a pillar, right? Um, and so that's basically what we do. Truth is, it's not really just about hermetic Kabbalah or anything else. Um, it's, any system, any religious or spiritual system that we may choose to work with, inevitably we are all like blind people with an elephant trying to describe an elephant because the reality is, of course, so much bigger. Now, it was never the proposition that this is the only way to describe reality or that's the only, <laughs> only thing that exists in reality. It's a map, right? And like every map, it... It is more, it can be more detailed or less detailed. And different creators choose to focus on different things, on different aspects of the map. So that is how the tree of life is different because inevitably, of course, the reality is bigger than 10 spheres or 11 spheres or 22 pathways. And whether this is pathway number three or pathway number two, um is possibly not not so important <laughs> but uh it has a lot to say when you actually choose one structure to work with you work with that structure and you work with everyone else who works in that structure and that's how you um evolve right so the important part is choosing and sticking to one path that that you chose and then perhaps you know develop your own structure so um, this is the tree of life that I work with. Um, and that I was working with like for the past um, five years or so, right? Um, not that it's my primary map of reality, but in terms of Taro and in terms of, um, you know, some meditations that I would use, that that is the tree of life that I was taught to work with. It's not the hermetic, um, the golden dawn version, because in the golden dawn, the arcana have uh, different numbers. So this, for example, um, would be the third uh, arcana, the impress um, in the golden dawn. And here it's the fourth pathway, right? And 
in my version that this this is the third um, pathway, and in their version, it will be the second. It will be the the high priestess. But we're not going to go into into those details. Uh, but just to bring attention to the fact that that this is the re representation that I work with, and that's uh, the corresponding chakras of the human body. Now. So the hermetic tree of life, first of all, it is divided into masculine and feminine. So it has the left uh, pillar, which is called the pillar of severity. Here, this is the one. So if we go from above, so we go, this is Bina. Um, here you have a representation um, also of which uh, tarot cards are used. The numbers here are the Golden Dawn numbers, right? So and that would be the tarot arcana that are <clears throat> that are used. Uh, my my tree of life would be different. Um, so, but if we look at the structure first, so because this the structure is the same across uh, all all versions um so on the left if we go from the top we have bina we have givura and we have god um and this is the feminine the left the left hand path of course uh severity givura That is the two wings. Remember when they talk about um, the two wings um, to balance compassion, kindness, and mercy with structure, right? With um, with strength. That would be the left wing. That would be the wing of strength, the givura, right? So it's the feminine. Now notice that. The feminine in the hermetic tree of life is the one that has severity, that has strength. The great mother. Um, here, the second arcana, you have a picture of the high priestess. That is the left pillar of the tree of life, the boas, the dark pillar, the black Madonna, if you like. The dark mother, Kali, the destroyer. That feminine is concretizing. It is structural. This is the yin, the feminine, the unseen. It's the negative electric charge. It's the destructive forces, the left-hand path. The middle pillar is the pillar that is balancing polarities, right? It's corresponding to the central channel of the body. Whereas the feminine pillar would correspond to the left hand and the left side of the body. The middle pillar is the power cable for transmission of astral light. It is the balance between mind and magic. The magic would be the feminine. The mind would be the masculine. Magic would be black, yes, but there is no black magic. There are dark intentions. 
And so the, these are then the pathways that go either from the source down and from or from the um, humanity, from the earth up, depending on, on what you want to achieve. So then the right hand side is the pillar of mercy. The father, the great father, the divine masculine is merciful, right? So the picture of the strict father and the kind, giving, loving ah, mother who is, ah, who always gives and always cleans and doesn't say a word and produces 25 children and ah, and then dies of breast cancer because she's given, 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 right? And nobody else gave her anything in return. That picture obviously doesn't fit here because we have the pillar of mercy, the right-hand side, it's the father. That's, that's the Yahim pillar on the right-hand side of the high priestess, the, the white pillar. So this is Yang, this is active, this is external positive electric charge, creative forces. Now, of course, whether we have positive or negative electric charge, uh, we have to unite them, right, to make things work. So it doesn't matter. The high priestess unites the left and the right, right? The high priestess unites the masculine and the feminine. And that is the great work, uniting polarities. So in this tree of life, the polarities are in their pure form, but in reality, everything is mixed, right? Otherwise, it's not working. If your battery is only plus, it's not working. <laughs> so in order for the current to go, in order for the organism to be alive, in order for the earth to function, for the whole system to work, we need the uniting of, of those polarities. So the great work then is seeking the middle path that balances the polarities. Um, and here also we have this hidden sefirah, um, which is um, in uh, hermeticism, the abyss between the unmanifest and the manifest world, between the transcendent and the imminent. Right? Okay. How does... How does feminine magnetism and yin magic fit here? But I think we started on that already. So the left, that left-hand path, the structural feminine. Interestingly, um, indeed, there is nothing in Hermetic uh, Kabbalah or Kabbalah uh, that gives the feminine any form of weakness or or you know frivolity. On the other hand, it's the constricting. But it's also associated with um, evil, with darkness, with Lilith and the tree of Klipot. That's your favorite, favorite subject of the channel of Lucifer and the dark matter and the anti-world. Because it's exactly that. In hermetic tradition, the feminine, the yin, is actually the dark side. And it's not a dual system, so we kind of have to re reprogram, maybe reassess what darkness and light means, because darkness is, after all, the source of everything. The womb is dark. Um, so this is the yin 
channel. That's where it becomes important, where, where I say that I work with this particular system, because, for example, in the um, um, uh, golden dawn tree of life this would be the second arcanum the high priestess but in the system that i work with it's the impress the third the third pathway right so then that's that's the system that i personally work with uh that i know so this is the yin channel in the, the tree of life um alternatively you can also look at the left-hand path, right, as the yin channel. Uh, in any case, the yin channel is also the route, the um, gateway to the anti-world, to the tree of Klipot. Now, Klipot are, uh, for, they come from the... Um, Lurianic Kabbalah from the, uh, the Hebrew, the Jewish Kabbalah. Klipot are like shells or husks that veil the holiness of God. You could maybe call them the dark matter, but it's more like a shell, like there is a, a seed, right? And it has a shell. Now, this is interesting because the yin, as you saw that left-hand pillar, it is constricting, it is the force, right? It is limiting, it is the left-hand side, it is dark. And actually, the yin in Hermetic Kabbalah is constricting and structural. It is a shell. It is a husk. So, for example, the function of the yang is to give and to expand, right? So, by its own, it expands. It, it just gives. It's, it doesn't have a form. It's energy. So, for example, if we have an apple, and so yang would be... I'm not very good at philosophy, but I think there is, there is a very famous philosophy, <laughs> philosophical uh, idea in terms of, you know, the um, uh, kind of the general idea of an apple and the actual specific apple. So Yang would be that general idea. Um, it would be the concept of apple, right? It's matter, the, the nature of apple, right? It's the taste, the understanding what apple is, etc. Whereas yin would be the apple peel, the boundary of that physical apple. Without yin, this apple would just float into space, right? There would be nothing to constrict it. So, of course, in every reality, in every organism, in every being, in everything, every matter, every created thing, yin and yang are together in different proportions. They don't exist separately. Pure yin is like a vortex or a black hole. Um, the source uh, in, in within the human body, pure yin is considered to be inside the woman's womb. Um, and it's like a black hole that is connected to the center of the earth, which is energetically a black hole. And um, this black hole is the source of a vortex that attracts uh, partners, for example, sexual partners. 
the stronger the vortex, the stronger this yin center in the woman, the stronger the power of keeping partners. Um, and yin center in the womb, it also attracts the souls of children. But as you can see, um, this channel, the yin channel, it goes from approximately heart chakra from here. This, this corresponds to the heart chakra and all the way up to the crown and out of the physical body. So it's, it's actually not womb. It's from the crown up. So it's the upper half of the body if we were to uh, position it onto the physical body. Um, but kind of abstractly speaking, it is then that channel that sucks in the, the soul of, um, of a child and then pulls it downwards. So it is this, this area here in my version of Kabbalah represented by the 15th Arcanum, the devil, that is actually responsible for you know, for, for manifestation, for the actual manifesting of a child and partner and money and etc. But just to keep you at the yin channel here. So this is that yin channel, the absolute yin, the dark matter. And so at the root of this channel then is the gateway to the anti-world, the, the clipot. Um, so it is the, that sucking in force, the, the peel, um, and the tree of Klippot is also associated with the Luciferian channel and the <laughs> bad, <laughs> bad magic, the dark magic. Um, the problem with um, the channel of Lucifer and etc. is that kind of once you get into the anti-world, um, you, you're there. The yin world, it is just sucking everything in it has no energy of its own no light of its own so that like kind of that pure dark matter which doesn't exist in our reality but would exist in the anti-world so it has that sucking in function so while it may be tempting it's um not advisable because it follows you throughout eternity um but uh, some people are terribly fascinated with the yin magic and the clipot and the, and the channel of Lucifer and all that. So it's there. It's uh, it's this dark side. Um, but again, it's the Western um, um, description, Western work, because in Judaism, it's a little bit different and there is no exact description of clipot. It's kind of said that it's the anti-tree to the tree of life, the tree of death, but there is no exact nature or picture or specific descriptions of those trees. So more, more specifics come from, from Western sources. So it's, again, it's an approximation. Some people are terribly fascinated with, with that dark matter. I'm not in particular, so I'm not the biggest expert on this but uh, the card the impress is used then to tune in to the yin channel obviously not to the dark matter but to that yin magic so and here you have the you know the red couch 
uh, indicative of, you know, both the blood mysteries and the fruitfulness and the pregnant woman and the crown and Venus, right, and um, and fruits and um, um, bread, kind of the seeds of life and etc. Now, um, working with magnetism is actually, as I said, the pathway that is below the yin channel. It's still the central pillar in the tradition that I work with, but it's um, a work of the 15th arcanum, the devil. Um, so it has at the, it, the frequency then goes from, if we go from down to up in terms of spiritual evolution, so it goes from um, Svadhisthana Manipura Nakata Chakra, so the sacral, the solar plexus and the heart chakras. Um, that's really where most advanced souls and spiritually interested people spend most of their lives in working through that particular pathway. So sexuality, attachment, letting go, ego, finances, addictions, that's all of this has to do with this particular pathway represented by the devil, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, it's actually... Um, not the the devil devil in the christian um i idea of uh, of the devil um it's baphomet um but um this is the pathway that one works with to increase magnetism so magnetism is part of feminine magic and um it really is at the core of any attracting uh, practices and also of, of obviously feminine practices. It's an al alchemical force that arises from uniting polarities, right? And the way it's done in Hermetic Kabbalah, it's visualizations, it's contemplation. So working with the card itself, for example, working with fire, with a black stone, uh, which is a grounding force and also representative of the earth and earth magnetism. Don't forget earth is magnetic. So we can tune into the earth magnetism. We can tune into the polarity. So female, male, right? And then how to unite them. Uh, fire, uh, horns as a symbol of divine wisdom. And... Uh, also, here, under magnetism, uh, we work with high beings, lineages, who embody magnetism. So, in terms of working with yin magic as opposed to feminine magic, I would say that yin magic is that magic of the black hole, that yin channel. The constricting, there are limited practices that um, you can do with it, uh, such as tuning into to the, well, tuning into the impress card is, is kind of the beginning, is that at the bottom of, of the practice, and then going more to into the yin channel and working with that um, dark space. Um, 
but it's a magic that has potential to destroy, right? It it has a strong attractive force, but it has the potential to destroy also. And uh, so it was always kind of guarded and kept <laughs> secret just because of the potential to be very destructive, to be um, because it just sucks everything in and then it doesn't stop and just keeps sucking everything in and it starts um you know, destroying because it just starts sucking the energy and eventually it can also become self-destructive, right? Um, pure yin, but then in real life, it doesn't exist. So you have to practice a little bit to like, but those yin practices, for example, tuning in to that channel without specific um, methods or protection, let's say, energetic protection can make you very tired, let's say, and you just want to sleep um because it it starts sucking your energy um whereas in nowadays uh, what i know in most hermetic traditions yes there is limited work with the yin channel but usually not in its pure form but through feminine magic so both in terms of magnetism and the yin channel those higher frequencies right at the, uh, the up to the crown um it's more about connecting to high beings, connecting to the feminine. Because feminine magic is, as I said, it's not really a linear structure. It's circles, it's spirals as opposed to straight lines, right? It's stories and fairy tales as opposed to scientific articles. It is cycles of creation and destruction. It is dream work associations it is not literal it has to do with embodiment feminine magic has nothing to do with words because words limit words give a certain limitation um while at the same time feminine magic is not the flowing singing dancing throwing flowers into the river and not having any structure at all as you've seen from the tree of life it's actually the feminine that is structured that constrains and holds the masculine in its place gives the masculine the form the shape and the boundary Without that, the masculine, the yang, better say, cannot uh, be, also cannot really be anything, because it has no form, it's that formless, shapeless. So that feminine force, it's the feminine force that is the structure, but it can potentially become a destroyer, so that's where. So then, to work with feminine magic in a more kind of you know, human way, <laughs> a more specific, more concrete way, most choose to work with um, archetypes, goddesses, holy women, right, witches. Um, so then uh, establishing a direct uh, channel to a goddess right, or, or to her Grieger. So, for example, working with voodoo goddesses, with... Um, old earth goddesses with egyptian goddesses with hindu goddesses with mary magdalene with um, saints like john of arc for example or saint hildegard um working with the queen of the witches with um, 
you know, etc., etc. Working with archetypes or fairy tales such as Baba Yaga. And Vasilisa Baba Yaga is the initiatrix, right? As the crone archetype, and Vasilisa is the maiden, and then the crone initiates the maiden, and the maiden receives everything that that she ever um, wanted through trials. But Baba Yaga is ultimately a good witch, right? Because she's yes, she constricts, she takes away, but but she's good again. We see that structure that. Uh, constricting force the one who can destroy but also give also gift working with archetypes of maid and mother magician enchantress and so on so for myself then how do i work with feminine magic some work with the yin channel uh, some practices for attraction um, um and um, protection or, you know, uh, destroying in terms of destroying negative energies, for example, or curses. That's the yin magic. That's the uh, working with yin. That yin channel, that third pathway, right? Um, I work with energies and archetypes. Uh, so goddesses. I prefer to call them energies nowadays. Um, so, for example, um, you know, Aphrodite, right? That love, beauty, abundance, joy, celebration, party, attraction. All the men come running to you. You're wearing an Aph Aphrodite's belt, right? So creating that ritual through visualization. I prefer uh, using visualizations and uh, you know, particular initiations into um, what is called an egregor, let's say, collective consciousness of a particular tradition or followers, like right of a goddess. Uh, I do work with plants and essences, uh, charging water and talismans. Um, again, that's energetic. Um, let's say, for example, you are doing meditation or healing work. You can bring a glass of water with you. I'm sure you know water has memory. Uh, and at the end of the healing session, even if you do a healing session with me, let's say, bring a glass of water at the end of the healing session, drink that glass, because it will be charged with the healing energy. Water has memory. Right? It, it does. You, you can look that up that research, you know, where molecules changed shape according to what was said to them. Well, it's exactly the same thing. So that's the simplest way of charging water. It doesn't have to be super complicated. You know, there's no need to like go out at midnight, get the blood of the fifth frog that you meet at the crossroads opposite a cemetery under the uh, whatever full moon uh, looking east. These things also had an importance. They have an importance in terms of locating yourself in time and space. Uh, according to the planets and um, and reality, that's everything had a reason. But I'm talking also. We sometimes the simple things are also very effective. Um, we are that's a whole different story of locating ourselves in time and space. But we can charge water simply. Let's say you go to a healing session, and you charge water. Right, you connect. Um, 
to that and after the healing session for example you can drink that water as an elixir for a few days or mix it with uh, with vinegar or alcohol and have it as an elixir drink a few drops every day for 30 days you you can you can do that you can bring um charge water at the healing session so you can of course charge water with intention charge water with prayer um try it next time you do a healing session or a visualization with me or someone else try bring a glass of water and at the end you know bless it drink it set an intention before the session that you're charging the water and set an intention after the session um, and connecting a lot to the energy. So such as Black Madonna, for example, I visited many Black Madonna shrines or worked with Joan of Arc, etc. Some people are very much more than I am into ritual, altar, sacred items, uh, you know, it's important and for some people more important than others. It also depends kind of on your style and which primary energy centers you're working with. Um, ritual coloring or sometimes drawing, you know, painting, and neurographics. I worked with it as part of um, um, actually a Kabbalah course, sort of, uh, where it's you draw and then um, say, for example, you, you just paint, you randomly draw uh, lines and figures uh, in relation to the situation that you have. And then you state how you want to change the situation. Look at the drawing again or painting and change it now according to how you would see it now. And there are some rules like putting uh, triangles, right, uh, or, or circles, or, or to cross out an energy. Um, so maybe, you know, to attract, to, to make stronger, to make weaker, to, to delete something. So you then fiddle with the drawing uh, according to what you want to change. That's, that can be very powerful. And, some, and for some people, again, it's more powerful than for others. But that's that's actually very interesting um, work, you know, in terms of ritual coloring and neurographics. Uh, sigils also, for example, um, uh, there is a Pompajira in voodoo. In voodoo, as you know, most of the, the deities or spirits, they have their own um, sigils. Well, they're not called sigils, I believe there, but it's like a magical drawing, right? It can be a talisman, an amulet, and it can be also a representation of the deity. Um, and um, so if you draw it, you also attract or create, right? Uh, you draw in a certain force, you fix it with a pen and ink and a little bit of feminine magic giving shape giving form it's less about words and more about drawing but it's very structural it has lots of shape um blood magic menstrual blood again it's a topic of a phd um but these are some of the elements that I wanted to talk about. So I think I'll finish it for today. As you can see, there is a lot um, 
to explore further and hopefully we'll we'll look into it um with you know those elements especially in terms of ritual and and drawing and etc because this can be very fascinating but for today thank you so much for listening and i hope uh, it really you know helped you maybe or answered some of your questions or was a little bit a little bit interesting and fascinating so until next time i wish you many blessings all the best